This is the Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. Catch Stan every weekday at 2 on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, SNR. A lot of people, of course, have been and continue to rail against Le'Veon Bell. And let me just say, I've gotten a lot of, when I put that up on Facebook and Twitter, a lot of people saying, Stan, you're wasting your breath. We're tired of hearing about it. Yeah, uh, I am too. And look, if Le'Veon Bell never plays another down for the Steelers, so be it. Everybody goes on with their lives, including the Steelers. But I thought that this deserved to be discussed today. And, and here's why. A lot of people railing against Le'Veon Bell from a Steelers fan perspective, some who are neutral are just saying he's making a bad choice, whatever. But the one thing that I have always said that Le'Veon Bell is playing by the rules, the rules of the CBA, the rules of the CBA between the Players Association and the NFL allow him to do exactly that. He's, you might not like it, but it's within the rules. It, it's not renegade. It, it's not rogue. This is what he's allowed to do under the rules. But there are rules that govern or support the positions of both sides in this. The Steelers are engaging in what they are allowed to do. They don't like what Bell's doing, but he's not doing anything that he's not allowed to. But now that the Steelers want to do something that the rules allow them to do, Le'Veon Bell's got a, a beef. Since Tom Hanks is in town filming the Fred Rogers movie, can you say hypocrite, boys and girls? Reporting yesterday from our colleague, Dale Lally, suggested that the reason that Bell hasn't reported up until now is that they have told Bell or somehow got the information to him that when he comes back that they're going to use the roster exemption list, which they're allowed to do. That means he reports, signs his tender, he's back with the team, but they do not have to put him on the active roster. That's the rules. And the bigger stumbling block for the Bell Party is that the Steelers have told the Bell group that they're not going to pay him while he's on the roster exemption list. That is within the rules. But now the reporting suggests that Bell would have reported and understood they would place him on the two-week roster exemption list but he won't report now because they won't pay him, which is well within their right. First of all, why wouldn't the Steelers put him on the roster exemption list? I mean, how much can they expect out of him? I mean, let's say he reports Tuesday at 4.01. Let's assume that the biggest issue here or the bigger issue is he wants – to report after the trade deadline, which is Tuesday at 4. He doesn't want to be traded. Doesn't want to go to a bad team, one with a crappy offensive line, one that's 1-6. and six. Doesn't want to go to Oakland. Doesn't want to go to Arizona. Doesn't want to go to Indianapolis. That sort of thing. 
even would be for just half a season. But let's say he does report on Tuesday. Does he have a reasonable expectation that he reports on Tuesday, the players are off, and then he practices Wednesday and that they're going to put him on the 53-man roster and play him against Baltimore, which stacks up as the biggest game of the year to date? After having not played football for 10 months? I don't even think he expects that. But he won't show up because they're not going to pay him his eight hundred and fifty grand a week to sit around. First of all, why would they? Why should they? He's the one who held them out to dry. And yes, it's about saving potentially $1.7 million in raw cash, money that Bell never gets back. He's already up to near $7 million now. But it also, every week that goes by, it adds the Steelers more room for the salary cap. Not for this year. It's not going to benefit them for this year, but it will for next year. So it's a smart business decision. Now, if after one week of practice they think he's ready for the you know, following week game, but remember, that's a Thursday night game. That's Carolina. So they'll play Sunday. They might have two practices. Is Bell going to be ready then? Maybe, maybe not. But why pay him 850000 Because in essence, he's on a practice squad. But the real issue here is not that decision. It's that the rules of the CBA in this particular case involving franchise tag players allows them to do that. So on the one hand, you have Le'Veon Bell taking advantage of all the rules, playing by the rules, playing inside the rules, but he has a problem when the Steelers are doing exactly the same thing. You can't have it both ways. That's where the hypocrisy comes in. You can't have it both ways. I've always said that Bell's not doing anything that he's not allowed to do. But the Steelers are also playing by the same rules, which offers teams some protections as well. This is not really a pro-Steeler or pro-Le'Veon Bell discussion, rant if you want. It's about the guidelines that have been set forth, agreed upon by both parties, And yet one side thinks that the rules only should support them. And as I began to say, yeah, it's about $1.7 million in raw cash and about more room for the salary cap. But I also have to believe 
it's somewhat punitive in nature. You hung us out to dry now. It'll be for seven games, eight weeks from the regular season. It's likely to stretch to nine games and 10 weeks, if not 10 games and 11 weeks. So, yeah, we got a chance to stick it to you with inside the rules. We're going to do it. James posts on Facebook, anyone else tired of the Le'Veon Bell BS? It can't be just me, right? How about we ignore him until he takes the field? I know it's good sports talk radio, but I'm so tired of hearing his name. Sorry, Stan. No, no apology necessary. I'm tired of it, too. But I thought in this particular case that his hypocrisy should be pointed out. Greg says, Stan, the time has come to stop wasting your breath and energy on Bell. If you insist on talking about a crack Bell, the one in Philadelphia is always an option. (laughs) I like it, Greg. That's funny. I am going to click like on that right now. Matthew says, Bell's a non-factor for the season. Sit him. Let him sit. Well, they, they'll have to do something with him if he reports. Gary says, on the one hand, it makes sense for Bell to sit out the additional two weeks because if he does report now, the Steelers theoretically could trade him. And I'm guessing Bell would rather play behind the line that he knows than going to an unknown team. I mean, that, that's you know generally why they expect to see him. Well, I don't know if they expect anything from him, but they expect that after the trade deadline, which is this coming Tuesday, doesn't affect this week's game, so why not? But they then have the option of putting him on a two-week roster exemption list. Why wouldn't they do that? Now, they do have the option of paying him while he's on the restricted list, but they don't have to. Why would they? As a show of good faith? That's another two-way street. That's only being traveled one way. Legal or not. This is not about Bell. It's not about the Steelers. It's about hypocrisy. The Penguins won a thriller against Edmonton, and Sidney's goal, one of the greatest ever in his career, sort of made us forget about some of the things that led to them going to overtime in the first place, and it's a trend. Number two, are you getting the sense that there may be a bit, I won't call it a rift, but a disconnect between Jim Rutherford and Mike Sullivan on what to do with Daniel Sprong? We'll talk about this stuff next with Mark Madden. The super genius joins the godfather next, Saverin on Sports ESPN Pittsburgh. The Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. Everything in tight. Connor gets the call. Connor up over the top. They haven't ruled. Yes, they ruled. Touchdown. I hope they're working hard, man, because we got some form. But, you know, can't really worry too much about them. I feel like as long as we take care of us, you know, we get a job done. That is Sean Davis, Steeler Free Safety. They got half the job done the first time 
they ran into the Cleveland Browns. Uh, they get another crack at them this coming Sunday. We're joined now by Rob King. By the way, Rob and Tim Benz uh, host an hour on the pregame show um, uh, along the Steeler Radio Network every game day. What time will you come on uh, this Sunday, Rob? 9 a.m., my friend. Okay. All right. Uh, I'll be just about getting ready to drive into the stadium uh, at, at that point. Uh, I'm thinking about going right over after the Penguins game and just going right to the studio. There you go. That sounds like yeah. a pretty good idea. Absolutely. It's a Vancouver game, and uh, so you'll be off the air, what, about uh, 12, 31 o'clock. Um, everybody hates these road trips except the players. The media hates them worse than anybody. Uh, I was asked on a radio show in Cleveland yesterday, Rob, um, do the Steelers, uh, are the Steelers taking the Browns seriously? Uh, and my answer was, yeah, uh, they better. Uh, I, I would think that if they didn't have much respect for him, they do now. They should. Um, I kind of got laughed at when I thought I, I said I thought the Steelers, the, uh, the uh, Browns would win six games, and I thought I had the capability of being a 500 team. Um, but uh, I think that they've proven that they're at least capable of of both those things. I don't think the 500 record is going to happen simply because. They've frittered away uh, a lot of leads, and, um, you know, again, it's not for me to decide what their problems are, but um, their head coach does not have a very distinguished record right now. So, you know, those things can and, – and, and a lack of winning in the past, a lack of the knowledge of how to win can cost the team, especially in a league in which you see so many games coming down to the wire. But if they don't think the Browns are, are a fairly formidable team, they're not paying attention. They're a good defensive team. They can create a lot of havoc. They can throw your game off. They can create turnovers. It's a very risk-taking type of defense, as you would expect with the defensive coordinator they have. They've gone to overtime in four games. They had a late lead against the Saints, and they had a late uh, the only they got drummed once. But I mean, they could be five and one, Stan. This, seriously, this, this could legitimately be a five and one team. They've had a chance to win every single game they've lost to except the one in which they were blown out last week or two weeks ago. So, uh, yeah, they, you need to pay attention to this team because um, they're a pretty good team, especially on the defensive side. It's it's a team that can give you a lot of problems with what they do defensively. Yeah, no doubt. And I think that part of becoming a good team is not only amassing talent, but as you use the phrase, you have to learn how to win. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that they get into situations. Look, even when they were 1-31, there were several games where they took leads into the you know middle fourth quarter and somehow found a way to you know fritter them away. They still have not been able to get away from doing that, but they are competitive more frequently now. And at some point, it'll click. They'll get it. Well, listen, if they had a good field goal kicker, good, just good, a good field goal kicker, they'd have two more wins right now. Yeah. Let's not forget that as much as the Steelers frittered that game away and gave them a chance to get back in it, the Browns had a chance to win with a very makeable field goal. Um, and I think it was, uh, was it against New Orleans? They missed a couple of extra points. Yep. And that wound up costing them. Um, I mean, this is a team that, uh, yes, they need to learn how to win, but they also, um, you know, the GM needs to, that's the next step. They've amassed the talent. Now you need to start building a team that knows how to win. And that, uh, for them, they need to get themselves a kicker. I think that, um, you know, we'll see about Baker Mayfield, but um, he seems to have some of the ingredients that you need. Certainly, he seems to have the ingredients you need to be a 
top-shelf quarterback. But again, those guys are few and far between. Whether he gets there or not remains to be seen. Um, you know, they probably need to shore up the offensive line a little bit. Uh, but yeah, they're they're not very, in my opinion, Stan, they're not very far away from being a team in which you not only say, hey, we have to respect them this week, but hey, this is going to be this is going to be a tough win. And I actually, I do think it's it's both. They need to be respected, and it could be a tough win. But I think in the in the next year or two, they could be, you know, if they can if they can figure out how to add the final ingredients to the soup, um, you know, uh, the spices or whatever to use to extend that sort of analogy. Um, they're they're going to be formidable. Would you agree that whatever way the arrow points, like Mike Tomlin likes to say, up down, that they're the Browns' uh, arrow trajectory is on a better track than Cincinnati's. Yes, definitely. I think that's a good comparison. Yeah, that having been said, um, you know, Cincinnati was, was already at a much loftier spot. When you're the Browns, um, you know, straight up in the air is three wins. <laughs> you know, let's be honest. Right. You don't win a game. Uh, so, there's, so it's easier for that arrow to be pointing up, you know, Sometimes if you're the Patriots or if you're the Steelers, the sideways arrow isn't too bad because um, it gives you a chance to be you know, contending for a Super Bowl again. So, yes, I do think your trajectory is in the right place. And I think I really believe in the next couple of years, Stan, um, it's going to be, you know, and again, it's so hard to project out even a couple of years in the NFL. You don't know what kind of changes are going to be made. I don't know how good Baker Mayfield's going to be. But if Baker Maker, Baker Baker Maker, if Baker Mayfield winds up being a top level quarterback, then I think it's going to be the Steelers and Browns fighting for the division in say two years from now, and the Browns and Bengals are the uh, Bengals and Ravens playing catch up. That's my opinion. As we approach this game, I mean Cleveland is still Cleveland, and they did tie them. Um, I don't know. Uh, time will obviously tell, but. I'm wondering if you get the sense, and we all know the the history uh, of the Steelers, the litany of playing down to opponents. Uh, are you getting the sense that maybe this is this group is different, that that they're not as susceptible to falling into that trap as they have in the past? Well, I don't know. Week one is a pretty indication, pretty good indication that maybe they're not. Um, you know, that was, and I think that they got themselves into into a position in which they needed to play. Um, they needed the wake-up call. They needed to start playing better football. They never should have tied that game against the Browns. No. Never. Um, and so, and, and again, that's, you know, the, the in the last several years, it's generally been on the road against a down team with a big opponent coming up the next week as, a, as a, the occasional sweetener. But that's usually been, the first two things have been a down team on the road, Oakland, for example, um, a couple of years ago when uh, when Terrell Pryor ran 99 yards, 96 yards, whatever it was for a touchdown. Uh, so I, I don't, you know, those losses haven't happened that often at home. So I, and I don't expect it to happen again this week. But until you prove you're over that, and I, I think that if we look back at this, uh, you know, at the end of this season, we may say that happened week already. It wasn't a loss, but it was a. It felt like a loss. That was a tie that probably felt like a win for the Browns and felt like a loss for the Steelers. Um, but, you know, they've, they've hopefully snapped to attention and put themselves back in a position in which, you know, they realize that you have to continue to win. Your, your, your percentage points into first place. So 
this is no time to stumble. This is no time to And I don't expect one to happen. Now, whether it's whether they're over those issues or not, I think, like I said, I think week one, you could you could argue that that was already, it's already happened. Um, but but I would also say this, it, it happened again and can happen again, and time will tell whether it does or does not. Well, you know, it's interesting about that, that game one, because I do want to talk about, you know, the following week, too. Um, they, 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 they did not play well. Now, whether that was overlooking Cleveland, I mean, Ben um, had a terrible game. Uh, six turnovers, you're not beating anybody that way. I don't care if you're playing Little Sisters of the Poor. But the fact that they were up 21-7 to seven, um, would indicate that, uh, you know, they, they didn't take them lightly. Maybe they relaxed a little bit, although to me, that game hinged on one play, and it doesn't excuse the Steelers, but that James Conner fumble totally changed the dynamic. I mean, they were well on their way to cruising in the last eight minutes to a win. Turnover on the ball that deflected off the uh, Browns player um, wasn't indisputable evidence that it did. That certainly would have put things away for him. Um, and even so, you know, a Boswell field goal puts things away for him. But again, the Browns, if I'm not mistaken, if I, if I recall correctly, the Browns missed a closer field goal um, than the Steelers tried. So, you know, I, look, I don't know if they looked past them, Stan. Hopefully they did not. I, you know, um, Again, Cleveland's better, I think, than a lot of people thought they were going to be. Uh, they're certainly they've learned to compete. They've learned to be close week in and week out, except for that one blow off blowout loss. Um, so I don't know if I'd even categorize that. You know, and again, we'll see if at the end of the season, you know, they're two thirteen and one, um, then that's a bad one. But if at the end of the season they're say, um, you know, nine and one. Uh, then it then it becomes a little more explainable. So no, I don't think they look past them. But you're right, the small and that's the thing. I mean, you hear the coaches say that, and everybody kind of rolls their eyes. You know, there's more than that, but it really is true that most games come down to a handful of plays, especially at the NFL level. And sometimes, even in a blowout loss, sometimes it's the it's the underdog needing some belief, needing a momentum play, and something happens and even the second quarter of a game that could have put them in the lead and maybe changed the context of the game. Um, but certainly in the close games, you can always point to three, four plays. And in, in, in the instance of that game, you know, one that certainly turned the tide. With the game against Baltimore, let's assume for just a moment that the Steelers beat Cleveland Sunday, and mm-hmm. that's not looking past them, which is for the sake of discussion – um, it seems to me that not that the game against Carolina won't be important. I mean, you've left yourself no – what's happened here is you've left yourself no margin for error by not winning three of the six games that you played. Uh, that, that's the way, where they're at now. Mm-hmm. But while the next two games won't determine the outcome of the season, do you feel, as I do, that the next two games will define where they're headed this season? Well – you know, a short-term definition, yes, for sure. Because, and I understand exactly what you're asking, Stan. I just say that with a caveat that you never know when injuries are going to happen or when a team gets hot or um, other things that are sort of beyond your control. But taking it face value with, with um, and sort of maybe in a vacuum and, and those things don't happen, then yeah. I mean, if you beat the Browns and then you beat the Ravens, now your division record is improved, um, you've you, you know, regardless of what happens with the other teams, you strengthen your position in, uh, you know, in first place in your division, at least against two opponents, kind of put some distance between you and them. 
Um, you know, that tie is going to be interesting, though, right? I mean, that tie could come back to make, you know, instead of making it a two-game advantage, say, over the Ravens, now it's really, you know, a game and a half. Um, uh, so, you know, th- then you start to throw out things like tiebreakers and that sort of stuff. But, yes, having, um, having you know, sort of navigated all those other stuff, yes, I do think that, you know, you win these two games and it just puts you in a strong position and hopefully has you – um, again, you know, walking that walk, uh, talking that talk of a Super Bowl contender. And we should also mention, while the Steelers in Cleveland play, Baltimore will be at Carolina. Um, that will not be an easy game for them, certainly, um, as the Carolina game here will not be easy. And the, 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 the bad thing that I, I think that for the Steelers is that they play at Baltimore next Sunday, and then they get a very good Carolina team back in here on Thursday. So you know what those Baltimore Steeler games are like. You're usually emotionally spent. You get beat up, all those kinds of things. Now you've got a very physical Carolina team coming in. The, the good news is that at least you're playing at home, and at least you don't have to waste a day traveling as Carolina will. Yeah, and then there's so many other, um, you know, there's so many other factors around that. Right, I mean, I, I think Thursday night, first of all, um, Thursday night to, well, I'm not a fan of it, but, uh, you know what is the you know which team can cope with the with a with the quicker turnaround better? I'd be interested to see teams' records on Thursday nights after a win and after a loss, whether that matters. Um, we're always trying to figure out and and you know sort of gain what the what the uh, emotional state of a team is. Are you riding high after a Baltimore win? Are you looking past a team? because of a Baltimore win? Are you refocused because of a Baltimore loss? Are you smarting and reeling because of a Baltimore loss? You know, and you only have three days to, uh, you know, we need like a sort of a psychological evaluation of Thursday nights based on the importance and win-loss records and all that of, uh, of Sunday. Because the one thing we know for sure is that they're both going to be coming in on the same amount of rest. Well... I think we both hate Thursday night football. Uh, yeah. Maybe when you're watching it, uh, I find I seldom do. I have really no plans to watch any of it tonight, uh, but it's especially tough on the teams that uh, that do play. Rob, thanks very much. Uh, I know it's a late night for you. Well, with the Penguins in Calgary tonight, um, I'll look forward to seeing you next week and talk to you again next week, too. Take care. All right, Stan. Thanks very much. Okay, Rob. The Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. I never said that I would take over the play calling. I know you didn't say that. Yeah, I just want to make that clear. I mean, I think sometimes things get said, written, whatever that is. When I said I'll do whatever I think I need to do, that is to help, you know. Um, and, and if there was something that I needed to change, I would. So Hugh Jackson is not throwing Todd Haley under the bus. This may be a little Volkswagen, not a bus. <laughs> We're joined now by Kenny Roto, my longtime friend and colleague, longtime Cleveland talk show host, WHBC in Canton, Ohio, the birthplace of professional football. Kenny Roto joins us now on Savern on Sports. How you doing, Kenny? I thought it was a Mini Cooper, not a <laughs> There you go. Cooper, yeah, yeah I- that he used. You know, it's more stylish than everything these days. So he, he used a Mini Cooper to go over him once and then back over him. Uh, and, uh, you know, when we heard him right after the game, 
everybody's reaction, even though he didn't come out and say it, was, well, sounds like Hugh wants to take over uh, the play-calling duties. Well, he tried to clarify that the next day, but uh, the tire marks were already there. Well, Todd's used to lying on the ground. He was a speed bump at Tequila Cowboy here after the playoff <laughs> game last year. So, And I like Todd. I got to know him pretty well. He's, he, I like him a lot. He's a good guy. Uh, I'll just tell you a brief story. I, I, if you're familiar with her, Kenny, her name is Aditi Kinkle. Kinkwabala. She works for the NFL Network. She covers yep. the Browns a lot, covers the Steelers mostly. She lives here uh, in, in Pittsburgh. And Aditi and I have become friendly. I have her as a guest on the show. I think she's great. And I asked her, I said, do you, uh, you mostly do the AFC North? And she said, that was the idea. She said, but when the NFL Network determined that the drama in Pittsburgh was every single day, they just said, stay there. Because there's always right. something happening. Um, it appears that at least for this week, some of the drama and the title of Team Turmoil resides in Cleveland. How big or at all did that resonate with Hugh Jackson's comments after the loss in Tampa? I think it started really last Friday when they traded Carlos Hyde two days before they were getting ready to play uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and turn things over to second-round pick Nick Chubb. Now, I understand why they did it. The timing, I think, was the, the, the biggest thing that was, the, you know, could affect the team, and I think it did. So you started with that, and then you lose on a 59-yard field goal at Tampa Bay, and then, of course, use comments after the game. So, yeah, that OIC, only in Cleveland, is a phrase I coined many years ago, Stan. And uh, <laughs> they, they, have, they have found ways to snatch the, the feet from the jaws of victory many, many times. And when you saw them on hard knocks, and when you saw Todd Haley's comments that one meeting uh, with uh, Hugh Jackson, who had to you know, tell everybody he was the bus driver, he was in charge of the team, it's exactly what he did again. So uh, there's definitely some drama, some turmoil going on, whether they want to admit it or not. How much uh, is that going on? Obviously, winning is a salve. Um, it also makes me wonder about the advisability of being on hard knocks. I mean, I think it brought them a lot of attention, but now – People saw some of the divisiveness among the yep. coaching staff. And I offered this theory yesterday, Kenny, and knowing what kind of guy Greg Williams is, my guess is he just might be stirring the pot because if John Dorsey says we got to get rid of some people, then he's the only other guy other than Haley that has head coaching experience. Yeah, and that's something we were talking about before the season started, Dan. Did Todd Haley take this job because – there's an opportunity to become a head coach if Hugh Jackson gets fired in season, right? But it's interesting that he took this one. I don't know how many other offers he had, but I think a lot of people felt that, okay, now you bring on a second former head coach. So if you do get you to get rid of Hugh, whichever coordinator's unit is doing the best might become that, that head coach if they fire Hugh Jackson. So that's definitely something to watch because the Browns have Pittsburgh this week. Kansas City the following week, and then Atlanta before the bye. If they go into that bye on a five-game losing streak and at 2-7-1, and one, it's really going to get interesting to see if Hugh makes it out of the bye week, and if not, who would become the head coach. Well, it's interesting to me, um, and, and maybe this question answers itself, Kenny, um, is Hugh Jackson on the spot? And I, I put the caveat in there because I would go back to August. Was he on the spot even then? And so this basically is nothing new. He says he's not. He believes he's got a great uh, line of communication that's always open with Jimmy and D Haslam and that everything is fine. 
but I don't know if that same feeling uh, is in his gut with John Dorsey because you know this, Dan, the many years you've covered, GMs like to hire their head coach, right? Yep. They want to bring in their guy. Hugh Jackson was not John Dorsey's guy. I think they told John Dorsey, look, we want to give him one more year so we're not paying another head coach not to coach our team. We have to pay a second head coach to coach our team. So I think this year uh, might have been that one where, all right, you, you get one year to prove what you can or cannot do, and if John Dorsey doesn't like you, then uh, we hired him to be the football guy. We're going to let him make his decision. But uh, we, we don't know that for sure. That's speculation on my part. I think Dorsey would like to go in a different direction. There was a story out here this, uh, early this week about Mike Malarkey and Dorsey having a connection and that maybe Malarkey could be a guy that, that he would look to should they fire Hugh Jackson in season or at the end of the season. So you got Haley, you got Greg Williams, and we'll throw Malarkey in there for right now. And there's always going to be head coaches available if they wait until the season's over. That's, that's right. always going to be, and there's some hotshot coordinator. I mean, you never know. Now, let's look at the other side of that, Kenny. This is a football team that's gone to overtime four times. It's a yeah. team that's won two games, which uh, ain't much, but it's sure better. It doubles the last two years. So can we say, A, that the Browns are better? At the very least, they're certainly more competitive, and does Hugh Jackson deserve some credit for that, or is it merely a matter that they finally had an influx of decent talent? They are a better football team, Stan. There's no doubt about that. They look like a football team, all right? For, they passed the eye test. As far as the, the rookie quarterback, Baker Mayfield, he's had his ups and downs so far, but uh, he came off the bench to lead them to a win over Sam Darnold and the Jets going head-to-head with another first-round quarterback from this year. He gets a, a win uh, as a starter. So you're right, they've doubled their win total and four games, they're 1-2-1 one, and one in the four overtime games. And when you look at it, I think there's only been two games so far that have been decided by more than three or four points. So they're in every game. And the question, the debate is, all right, could they be better if Hugh Jackson wasn't there? Is he holding them back? Or does he deserve the credit for the two wins because uh, he's the head coach now, took a step back from the play calling and is doing a better job of game day decisions and managing the team, preparing them uh, to get started. The jury's still out on this. And that's why I said, I think the bye week will, will be a good barometer by then. We'll see what the record is. And, uh, you know, how are they losing if they're still losing or if they're winning? Hugh stays. That, that's the elixir, like you said. It, it cures all ills. Well, I'll put that very – the question you raise, I'll put it to you. Do you think that they would be a better football team with what yes. they've got without, with a different <laughs> head coach? <laughs> I know, I know yes. you've never been a Hugh Jackson fan, so there's your answer. Yes, Dan. When they hired him, I thought he was the best – candidate that they interviewed but not the best candidate that was out there and so i was okay with picking hugh out of that group but after seeing one year of Hugh jacks i i saw enough you know one in 15 and then he said well we're not going to do that again i'll, I'll jump in lake erie if that happened. well they go all in 16 so this guy's one in 31 and keeps his job and now you're looking at what two four and one so he's got three wins in almost two and a half seasons I don't like his game day management. I don't like uh, his personality uh, as a head coach. He might be too much of a player's coach. And that's where you heard Todd Haley, uh, you know, comment during hard knocks about they, they got to get tougher and guys got to practice. And so there was that conflict there. So uh, not a big Hugh Jackson fan, 
Uh, would they be better with Todd Haley or Greg Williams? They couldn't be worse, in my opinion. You said they look more like a football team. Does that credit go to Jackson? And, and exactly what do you mean by that? Well, they when you look in the NFL, John Dorsey came out and said, look, the most important positions in the NFL are quarterback, left tackle, defensive end, and cornerback. Those are the top four. Look at the Browns right now. They feel they've got their franchise quarterback in Baker Mayfield, first overall pick. Do you agree with they that, by feel- the way? What's that? Do you agree with that, by the way, about Baker Mayfield? I wasn't a huge fan going into the draft, but what I've seen from him as well as the other quarterbacks, I would have taken Sam Darnold. That's me. Uh, He's on an even playing field with all of those guys right now. I still worry about his size being a factor. I know Drew Brees was able to overcome it. Brees had, uh, you know, glowing remarks about Baker Mayfield but I still have my doubts about it. So they feel, though, he's their guy for the future, so they address, in their minds, one of the most important positions, if not the most important position, quarterback. As far as the pass rusher, the defensive end, Miles Garrett has seven sacks already on pace for a sack a game or 16 sacks. I believe in Miles Garrett. I think he's going to get after the quarterback. No problem. Teams have to double him, but his run game defense needs to get better. The cornerback pick of Denzel Ward, Love that, and we're seeing uh, he's right now the favorite, in my opinion, to be defensive rookie of the year in in the NFL. So those three positions, uh, they have locked up. So from that standpoint, it's good. Now the left tackle, uh, Harrison, um, uh, the jury's still out on him. That's the one area where they have failed when Joe Thomas decided to retire, and they've tried three different guys there already this year. So um, I I don't know how that's going to pan out, but three out of the four positions where they felt – the most important positions, I think they have those secure in their minds. So, therefore, uh, those guys are impacting games in a positive way and helping them win a couple of games. So, yeah, I think that they're set on those three positions, but everywhere else needs a major upgrade. And, of course, that that takes some time. You know, I I was able to – we didn't uh, see the game here in Pittsburgh. They didn't televise it here, uh, but I was following along with it. And, uh, you know, we talk about some of the calls they made, but there are a couple things that – you know, I look at after the Jamie Collins interception, um, a chance to win the game in overtime. They lose four yards in three plays, and then uh, I'm sure they're talking about it there. Uh, Jabril Peppers fumbled that punt and, yep. and gave. T- so I mean, those are things. Um, you know, you look at you know how why a team loses a game. It's it's those kinds of things. I've always believed uh, that you know you say, well, that team. Look how many one run games they lost. That's not an endorsement, and it's an an indictment because they find ways to lose. Is that what the Browns are still doing, even though they're at least in position now to win some of those games? It's still there. It's in their DNA, Stan. They're trying to get rid of that, right? They're trying to, uh, to, you know, find a way to cut that part out. They're close, but they can't close the deal. And you're right. You get the ball at midfield and overtime after a turnover, you need 20 yards and you got a shot at a field goal and they lost four yards. And uh, Tampa Bay said, well, we're close enough for our kicker. Let's kick it 59 yards. And I think a lot of people, including myself, were thinking, there's no way this kid's going to make the – he missed a 40-yarder at yeah. the point. Uh, the, uh, the, the Browns are going to get the ball at midfield again, and this time they're not going to, you know, ruin or, or let uh, uh, Tampa Bay ruin uh, 
uh, the game by creating a turnout. They're going to win it. Well, they never got that second chance because he split the uprights with plenty of room to spare. So the Browns are still trying to find a way to win. Stan, Nick Chubb gives them a different look as a running back. Uh, Hyde was the power back. Chubb has some power, but he's got a heck of a burst of speed. And uh, the Steelers need to be aware of him on screen passes as well as Duke Johnson on screen passes, but also running the football. The wide receiver position, they've got Jarvis Landry, and that's it. I mean, think about it. Uh, Rashad Perryman, they went out and signed him. That, that's how desperate they are right now for a wide receiver. Uh, uh, the Callaway kid, the rookie, fourth-round pick out of Florida, is having his ups and downs in Joku, looks good at times, bad at others. So the passing game, uh, they're really not helping out their rookie quarterback, Baker Mayfield, with the receiving core. So they're going to try and run it, play action off of it, uh, and uh, try and possess the ball, shorten the game, and, and see if they can win games, uh, you know, uh, 17 to 10 and 20 to 17 uh, along those lines. Okay, last thing for you, uh, and this happens around this time of year. Uh, teams, you can see, they know they're not going anywhere, and they begin to get discouraged. Maybe not this early, but within the next couple of weeks. Um, mentally, um, the Browns are more competitive. They are better. But when you lose a game like that last week, um, especially on the road when you've got a chance to win it, I always use the analogy, it's like eating an anchovy pizza at midnight. You taste it for days. How will the how will the Browns rebound having to come into what looks to be an improving Steeler team? I wish I had an answer for you, Stan. I really I wish I could say you know what they're they're fine, uh, their heads are cleared and they're good to go. Or you know what they're going to be terrible. That's just it. I, I don't know what to expect yet from this team. Uh, you know you would think that the Steelers have a little revenge on their minds because even though it was a tie, it felt like a loss for the Steelers, right? The Browns, uh, you know, uh, old, uh, what was his name? Uh, e. Gordon Gee, that used to be the president at Ohio State. When yep. they tied Michigan during the John Cooper era, said that's the, the greatest victory we've had when they tied 13-13. I don't think the Browns looked at it like that, but it was an improvement. They didn't lose. Uh, so I, I wish I could tell you the Browns are going to get blown out or, hey, Steelers better be ready. This team's turning the corner. I still don't know yet, and that's because of a rookie quarterback uh, as well as injuries. Schobert out. He was the leading tackler on defense uh, at linebacker. Secondary. If I were a betting man in Vegas, I think the spread was eight I saw yesterday. I don't know if that went up or down. Uh, the Browns are 5-2 and two against the spread. So I would take the points and the Browns, but I would pick the Steelers to win outright. There you go. Fair enough. That satisfies everybody. Uh, <laughs> um, Kenny, thank you very much. Always enjoy the conversation, which we will resume in just a few hours on your show this afternoon at 430. Yeah, looking forward to it, Stan. And Picasso uh, painted a beauty last night, didn't he? Picasso on ice. Um, uh, I tweeted that out. Um, uh, you know, the game, he um, just remarkable. Uh, everybody's seen it. Uh, one of our listeners called it Vincent Van Gogh. Because he, nice. yeah, nice, very nice, and <laughs> because he, he's just an artist, and we, we talked about that a lot. Uh, it's a, uh, it's a privilege and an honor to watch him play. Oh, I bet, Stan. And from afar, it's fun to watch him play. And I'll, I'll tell fanatics, uh, it was because of you that I bought a penguin hat and a shirt today. So maybe they'll give you a kickback. All, all right? right, very good. I could use the percentage. Thanks, Kenny. I'll talk to you a little bit later. All right. That's Kenny Rhoda of WHBC in Canton, Ohio. Kenny, and I've mentioned this to you before. 
Kenny is a Pittsburgh native. He grew up in Springdale. So we kind of trade places. Uh, I was born and raised in Cleveland working in Pittsburgh. He was born and raised in Pittsburgh working for, I think, over 30 years now uh, in the Cleveland area. But he, um, and he tells people on the air in, in Cleveland, he's a Steelers fan um, and he's a Penguins fan. So there you go.